You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Professor D'Agostino, Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter. And I apologize for being late, but uh, we've got construction going on, and I couldn't figure out how to get back in the building. Uh, so <laughs> the front door was chained. And let's see, I'm going to have uh, a guest uh, shortly uh, on the show, but I want to talk about uh, uh, the Constitution. I want to talk about there is no chance that we can return to constitutional government, and I'll explain why shortly. But uh, first I want to do a little something on this COVID stuff. Uh, and this, I noticed a number of schools are, and a number of uh, institutions are mandating that their workers or even students in some schools uh, have uh, be vaccinated. Uh, let me remind people, this is an experimental vaccination. Experimental vaccine. It is only uh, allowed, presumably, an emergency basis is released on an emergency basis. And of course, those of us, such as myself, who are in an age group that's vulnerable, uh, should be vaccinated. But it's really, a, a, it's really a, a question as to whether other people should be vaccinated. Now I'm switching to a, uh, my, my conference line so that we can uh, hear someone else. David says, uh, did, did, I, did you hit that button? Yeah. I'm going to turn it off. Uh, okay. As, as, See if I can be heard. Uh, does uh, David, uh, can uh, Mike Lynch be heard? Can I be heard? Not well, no. Okay, but he can be heard. I'll fix well, it so he can be heard better. Okay. Okay. Um, the first thing I want to talk about a little bit, before I get into the main topic of the, of the show, is this uh, COVID stuff, this mandatory vaccination idiocy. There are some potential serious side effects. Now, for we old folks, you know, or people in a vulnerable group, taking the vaccine made some sense. But it does not make sense for those in non-vulnerable age groups. Children are more likely to die from the flu than to COVID-9. Uh, COVID it's, it's just not a, a wise uh, advice for, for non-vulnerable people to take the vaccine. Uh, and Mike, it, Mike Lynch here is, uh, my guest, Mike is a librarian at John Marshall Law School, and he's got been following this COVID stuff. He had COVID, he was ill, He's got the antibodies, and he's not going to take the vaccine. And there's no reason to take the vaccine if you've had it and you have the antibodies, even though there's some literature on the Internet saying, well, you, you should take the vaccine anyway. Well, I, Big Pharma would like that, but uh, it's not necessary. And, and there's a large study, people study that indicates you don't need to take the vaccine if you've got the antibodies. Now... There are one reason you you uh, uh, approve uh, a medication for emergency use is if there's no treatment. Mike, what about that? There's no treatment. Well, that's why they had to come down hard on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin because if those were that the use of emergency vaccines is dependent on there being no uh, treatment, and if those were recognized as good treatments. Then the emergency vaccine could not be authorized. So if you if you are conspiratorial and you think that this uh, is in part a setup for billions of dollars to be made by Big Pharma, then you can see why they would crush the idea that there were treatments. Uh, so that's, that's uh, you know, maybe it was all innocent and people really didn't think that anything was happening with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, but. Uh, uh, if you are of a suspicious nature, turn. there's certainly reason to think that it was uh, deliberate for the proper purpose of setting up the vaccines. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, uh, certainly a, a, a good uh, a good argument that that's the case. And uh, there have been some indications of serious side effects 
including side effects that would affect yeah. the uh, uh, oh, got a little re- reproductive uh, ability of women and maybe even men, and also some uh, side effects that uh, could affect the heart. Yeah, the, the heart side effects are a matter of growing excitement right now. That's something that is even the even the CDC is real concerned about. Uh, because it seems to be pretty widespread, and it's not known whether it could be long-lasting or not. There's another thing I want to say, that you were talking about antibodies. The immune response antibodies are one form, but we aren't worried about the measles and the mumps and the chickenpox, and we don't have antibodies. What we have is T cells that are uh, that will do a response. I happen to know that... And, and, I have, still have antibodies because I donate blood at the Red Cross, and they do an antibody test each time. So I have an antibody test uh, from last month, and uh, uh, or no, actually from this month, from early June. And yeah, I still have antibodies. Now, I had the uh, disease a year ago last March, and there was this, uh, oh, the immunity doesn't last. Once again, that was, that was it starts to look like Scare tactics. Maybe they were sincere about this, but I'm a I'm a year and three months into having had COVID. I've got antibodies, and I don't need antibodies because I've got educated T cells. So the whole thing about when you've already had it, you're still at risk. Sounds to me like uh, uh, hysteria and like drumming up scares. Yeah, and I think that when you say to a 20-some-odd-year-old student going to a school that you can't attend school unless you have the vaccine, I think you're doing a great potential disservice. And and unfortunately, this potential disservice, there are some minimal studies right now, but I have to do some research that indicate there are downside risks that are quite, could be quite severe uh, to, to this vaccine. So if you have a very low risk, one-tenth of one percent risk of mortality if you get it, but you have a half a percent uh, possibility of having serious side effects, why would you take the vaccine? So I think that's something that has to be looked into. And as far as ivermectin is concerned, now, I look, it's pretty obvious that what one reads on the Internet, a lot of it can't be believed. you got censorship by the, by the big tech people. Uh, they don't want to put anything that disagrees with whatever uh, uh, they're, they're, they're permitted or allowed or, 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 or politically correct to put on the Internet. So you can't believe everything you read. But the stuff coming out of India, if it's true, ivermectin has reduced the mortality rate in, in India by 95%. And in India, the reports are that uh, the one state in India that uh, listened to this RC, uh, Center for Disease Control, CDC, uh, and did not use ivermectin, but used some other stuff, their mortality rate is as high as ever. But the rest of India, they have, uh, mortality rate has, has declined drastically. You don't need to take my word for it. You need to research, you need to see. Uh, I have members of my family, my grandchildren, are not taking the vaccine, and I think that was a wise decision by their parents. There's no reason for children to take that vaccine when, when so far, COVID is less uh, dangerous to young children than it is than the flu. Well, well it also may be less dangerous than the vaccine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the vaccine—that's the—that's the key. Is it, what kind of risks are is someone taking by taking the vaccine, as opposed to the risks one's taking with not taking the vaccine? The vaccine campaign is the test of the drug. This is where it hasn't been tested on anybody other than humans. So the reports that are coming in now, uh, over the next year or two, will be the test that validates or or determines that it's too dangerous to use. Yeah, I, I think uh, w- with that, I think we'll, we'll, we'll move on to this. Uh, what I get is a constant request for membership or financial support to the Heritage Foundation. And I like the Heritage Foundation. It's, it's a fine group. 
but they're whistling Dixie in a sense when they say they're for constitutional government and the reestablishment of constitutional government can't be done. And we'll go through what it is. First of all, we hear this democracy, democracy, democracy. The Republicans are suppressing the vote, suppressing democracy, democracy, democracy. Let's, let's just review a little something. The founders did not believe in democracy. But the founders established one institution, a governmental institution on the federal level, that was democratic, the House of Representatives. The Senate senators were to be elected by the state legislatures. The president was to be elected by electors. And the electors were based on the number of senators for each state, two, plus the number of representatives, anywhere from one to whatever. I mean, California has, what, 45 or 50 electoral votes. So obviously the election of the president was not meant to be democratic. The election of senators was not meant to be democratic. The Supreme Court was appointed by the president. That was not democratic. So what did the founders have in mind? The founders had in mind the protection of liberty, freedom. And they expected people to be self-sufficient. Now that's the key word, self-sufficient. If we return to constitutional government, people would have to depend upon themselves or the states uh, for help and assistance when necessary. People forget, Grover Cleveland, who was a Democratic president, vetoed a bill passed by Congress to grant, I think it was $10,000 to help farmers that were devastated in the Midwest that were devastated by a flood. He vetoed the bill on the basis that it was unconstitutional, that it wasn't the purview of the federal government to, to do this kind of welfare or, or help, and that if the members of the Senate and House wanted to do it, they could pass the hat, or it was up to the states to, to do what they would. So, so what's happened? Well, the preamble to the U.S. Constitution says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Now, promote the general welfare. The Constitution, the Constitution has a number of provisions granting the federal government authority to operate and authority to do things. Promoting the general welfare isn't one of them. But that, of course, is what's happened. And when people have problems, whether floods, fire, drought, or anything else, they look to the federal government. So if you go through the Constitution, say, well, what about, what about this? Why shouldn't the government promote the general welfare? The federal government I'm talking about. Because it leads to a concentration of power. And I always tell my students, there's an algebraic formula. Power plus money equals corruption. And there are all types of different corruptions, not just money passing through, but, but selling influence or buying influence, either way. Uh, big Pharma and this COVID vac vaccine, that made billions. Was the vaccine really necessary? I think for people like myself, the answer is yes. Vulnerable groups, emergency use. I think there's, there's whether, it's, whether it, uh, the vaccine is necessary for it other than people in vulnerable groups is a matter of very serious debate. And the more that's debated, the more information comes in, the really less sure people are that the vaccine should be generally available to everybody or, or necessary for everybody to take. That the downside, potential downsides are too, are, 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 are dire for some people. Yeah, but, you know, heart problems for the rest of your life because you took this vaccine? Well, so let's go to the Constitution. 
primarily, initially, it was a, a document that established a, a process, established structure and process. Article 1 talks about the Congress and the Senate. Of course, it uh, talks about the election of the Senate by, by the uh, uh, state legislatures. And, of course, uh, Section 4, Elections, of Article 1, the times, place, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the place of choosing senators. But Congress made any time by law make or alter such regulations. <clears throat> this is very interesting, and, and uh, this is where the Democrats are now placing their bets that on this H.R. Uh, 1, which has passed the House and is in the Senate to be considered the Democrats want to institutionalize what I would say institutionalize fraud so that there'll be no more limitations on fraudulent voting or mail-in voting or, or vote uh, harvesting. Uh, in other words, paid operatives go out and collect people's votes, some who are eligible to vote, some who are not eligible to vote, it would make no difference. And I've discussed in previous shows the, the, the fact that there is fraudulent voting, a 2008 Harvard study, uh, 2018 study that was done by uh, Stanford and, and with some uh, uh, help from uh, statisticians at Microsoft indicates that there's a certain level of fraud. Uh, and I can go back and governorship of Washington some years ago, stolen by the Democrats, Norm, Norm Coleman's Senate seat in, in, uh, in, in Minnesota, stolen and, and handed over to Al Franken. Uh, the Senate race in Louisiana many years ago where Woody Woodruff, uh, uh, Woody Jenkins, excuse me, Woody Jenkins won, and uh, but the Democrats stole it. It was close, and the Democrats were very good at stealing close elections. Whether they stole the last election, I don't know. Uh, they may have. They may not have. Uh, certainly the traditional fraudulent voting, you know, dead folks and stuff like that, would not have been enough. To, to turn this election. But then you have this idea of you know, harvesting votes from both people eligible to vote who would not have otherwise voted or people not eligible to vote, but their votes were harvested anyway. And you have the mail-in balloting, which is an open invitation for, for fraud, whether how much was committed or not, I don't know. But it's very interesting to note that the Democrats who claim this was a fair election uh, object to the audit of any election. If it was fair, you would welcome the audit. Uh, the Arizona audit has been bitterly opposed by Democrats. The audit uh, in certain areas uh, going on elsewhere in, in Georgia and Michigan, the Democrats are opposing all these audits. Why? If it was a fair election, and there was, there's no massive fraud, and of course there's always a little fraud, and, and it may be substantial fraud, but the question is, the Trump people are claiming those massive fraud. Well, if if there if there wasn't, and and there's no uh, 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 the, the election wasn't stolen, let the audits go on. You know, you would have said, if, "Hey, it's a fair election. Audit all you like." But that's not what the Democrats are saying. So that kind of raises an interesting issue, doesn't it? And uh, so the question is, if the Democrats have this passed, uh, Section Four on elections is uh, kind of interesting because it says the states uh, are in, uh, uh, state legislatures are in charge. But Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. Hmm. Except as to the places of choosing senators. Hmm. Well, interesting. Then powers and duties of Congress section. Five, legislative process. Well, with powers of Congress, all this, if you have to read this, go right down and, and see what what is allowed of the federal government, what is allowed of Congress. And you and you have powers 
denied to Congress. And there's a whole list of those. And by and large, a lot of those are, uh, uh, are complied with. But what isn't complied with, the non-delegation clause, that Congress is not permitted to delegate the legislative uh, process to the states. I mean, excuse me, to the executive. And that's exactly what has happened with this regulatory administrative state. Starting seriously with Woodrow Wilson, who was contemptuous of the Constitution, because it was so limited the central government, and of course Theodore Roosevelt, when he ran West Bull Moose, really if you look at his, 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 his ideas, his agenda, he ran as a corporatist, not as a free market uh, capitalist, but as a corporate capitalist. He was very much in favor of concentrating economic power in the government. And that's exactly what the founders did not want. They did not want concentrations of power anywhere, even to, quote, promote the general welfare, unquote. Because they understood that the accretion of power uh, it leads to the decline of liberty and self-sufficiency and freedom. And uh, however, the Supreme Court, Congress now passes broad legislation, and the Supreme Court, in a Chevron case, it's called it, if you want to look it up, allows Congress to pass broad legislation and leave regulations to the executive. Well, the broader the legislation is, the more discretion the executive branch has. So, so in effect, the executive branch has, has become the, the most important legislative branch when it comes to economic issues. So now we have uh, Congress abdicating its responsibility by allowing the executive branch to do what they do in terms of regula- regulation, regulatory agencies. So the non-delegation clause, which was an important clause to make sure the legislature, House and Senate, did what they're supposed to do, and the executive branch was to enforce what the legislative branches wrote into law, is pretty well dead. Not completely, but pretty well. So how do you restore a constitutional government if... uh, if, if the Congress continues to abdicate its responsibility to actually do the legislating. And Can't that's what's happened. So that's not going anywhere. Then, of course, we have the Contracts Clause. Right. The Contracts Clause was designed to do it, just what it said, Contract Clause. Right. And it was designed to establish the free market. People voluntarily deciding their own economic transactions. And the contracts clause has been completely, right. I wouldn't say completely, exactly uh, abdicated, but all these regulations, all these protections, and many of them are, you know, seem quite reasonable, uh, have, have gutted the contracts clause, the, the voluntary association of people uh, to do primarily business. And this we got it because you have to comply with look your safety safety regulations. Well, that's probably good. Consumer, right. Uh, consumer protection law. Some are good. Some are not so good. Uh, and all sorts of other regulations about doing business. As uh, right. Marcus once uh, said in a little uh, speech he gave. And those of you who don't know who Bernie Marcus is, he's one of the founders of Home Depot, along with uh, Arthur Blank, and. Uh, he once said that when he and Arthur started Home Depot, if he had to comply with the regulations that were promulgated during up, up into including the Obama administration, he never couldn't got a, got off the ground. So every regulation is a barrier to entry. Every regulation makes it harder to enter a business. Now that doesn't mean no regulations are good. Break, Robert. I'm saying that, but deregulation lowers barriers. Why is it necessary for people who make coffins to have a license? Why is it necessary for bombers to be barbers to be licensed? Why don't they just just 
either say we are a graduate of a barber school or we're not. I mean, what is all this about? It's all about barriers to entry. That's what it's about. That's why the major corporations are solidly lined up behind the Democrats. Break. They do not want competition. They want to limit competition as much as they can. And the party, the corporate capitalist party, are the Democrats. No, I don't think they're socialists. Uh, socialism, properly understood, means you nationalize businesses. Uh, you essentially uh, run everything as a public corporation. Uh, Marx was very hostile to small business, petty bourgeois. Uh, so small businesses, private ownership had to be uh, uh, abolished. Uh, oh, evil all arose from private ownership. That's the Marxist position. And the corporatist position is a little different. Let's say France, Germany, a corporatist. Uh, the government's involved in the major corporations, the major businesses, but the little guy, the shopkeepers are left alone. So you have a dual system, free market capitalism on one level, low level, small businesses, and you have corporate capitalism on the larger level. Well, the Democratic Party is a corporate capitalist party. The Green New Deal, just look at it. It means the government's going to pick winners and losers. The government's going to decide who can stay in business, who, who can't stay in business. The government's going to decide what business you get into and what business you don't get into. Look at what the Biden administration has already done to the energy supply. Go to the gas station. Can you get home? Well, that'll, uh, that'll give you a, a bit of a hint. So, and the contracts clause is not going right. to be reestablished, and, uh, at least not I heard, in terms I heard of the original idea. Well, How about the commerce hmm. clause? Not the first couple of times. Well, <clears throat> when the federal government, using the commerce clause, can tell a farmer that he can't grow wheat in his backyard for his own cattle to feed his own farm animals, then the Commerce Clause has been completely stretched out of shape. And much of the regulation of interstate commerce comes from the Commerce Clause, including many of the uh, discrimination laws, any discrimination laws, are based on the Commerce Clause, the effect of interstate commerce. So the Commerce Clause, Contracts Clause has been shrunk, the Commerce Clause has been expanded. So this is where we're facing in terms of re reinstating uh, constitutional government. But the main thing is provide for the general welfare. You really believe the American people will tolerate the federal government not coming to their aid after a hurricane or a drought. They all look to the federal government. Social Security. I mean, Social Security is a good argument that that's unconstitutional, at least in terms of uh, how the founders uh, uh Vision the federal government. Are we going to get rid of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid? I don't think so. So this idea of constitutional government that reestablished by some of the conservatives or some of the conservative groups is so, yeah, whistling Dixie at best. The answer is it's not going to happen. The Constitution in lots of, lots of places is dead letter. Uh, and, and, and also, in a sense, the... the uh, 14th Amendment turned the Constitution into a substantive document applicable to the states. There's nowhere in the Constitution that talks about incorporation. The First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and all the Fourth Amendment have been incorporated into state law by the 14th Amendment. Well, that you look at the original intentions of the 14th Amendment, and that wasn't so, and you look at the uh, uh, Constitution, and you can find nothing in the Constitution that talks about incorporation. So where are we in terms of the future? We have a Democratic Party that talks about incessantly about democracy rather than a Republican form of government. Rather than balancing interests to protect liberty, they're talking about votes and, and majority rule, or as the founders would have said, mob rule. Because sometimes majorities get out of control and you get uh, essentially mob rule. Uh, essentially, uh, they line up uh, the passions of the day 
and the founders were very, very concerned about passions of the of the day and wanted to slow things down. So the, the U.S. Constitution purposely designed to slow things down. And the idea was if the House got out of control, passions of the day, the Senate would slow it all down. And of course, Democrats don't like that at all. If they could abolish the uh, way senators are elected, after all, there are two senators from Alaska and two senators from California. That's hardly Democratic. So we talk about democracy, 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 instead of talking about protecting liberty, 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 protecting freedom, and therefore balancing interests, interests of various states, interests of various constituencies. So when I was in the Justice Department, I got a phone call from Bob Dole. There was a lot of redistricting going on, and uh, uh, the Democrats were insisting on, on gerrymandering discus districts to ensure a proportional representation of African Americans, black being elected. And I pointed out that if we followed the logic of what the Democrats wanted to do, we'd create highly partisan districts where there was no percentage in compromise in in considering what various people wanted or didn't want in the district that the districts would become homogenous in terms of issues, many of the districts. And I got a phone call from Senator Dole and said, look, Dag, cut this out. This redistricting is going to mean 15 extra seats for the Republicans because we're going to concentrate Democratic voters and the Democrats take 75, 80, 85%, 90% of the minority vote. And so they'll win their districts with huge majorities and we'll win ours with 55%. Uh, and he proved to be correct. The redistricting, the gerrymandering, the, the, to ensure the election of minorities, particularly African-Americans, blacks, has rebounded to the benefit of the Republicans in terms of number of House seats. So where do we stand? What is the future of and I'm not, I don't share the optimism of a lot of other people. I, uh, I mean, no one would have thought 20 years ago that would be at this point critical race studies occurring in the schools, uh, this, this kind of uh, political atmosphere is highly charged and partisan, this, this, this cancel culture, if you disagree with anything, I mean, the, the, the play. Look, <clears throat> the uh, most important thing to understand is excuse me, check on everything you read on in, in the internet. Get it from more than one source. Never believe New York Times. They're just a, uh, a, a doctrinaire left-wing rag nowadays. And, and, uh, and there may always have been that. I mean, you know, if you look back at the New York Times, they covered up for Stalin. And Stalin was starving nine, 7 million Ukrainians to death. They denied that was happening. And the reporters who tried to be honest lost their jobs. Uh, they ignored the, the, the Holocaust by and large. So the, the Times has been, been covering for authoritarian regimes for a long time. And, and it such really it strikes me if they really were the uh, newspaper of record and really checked everything. They have a very different view of what's going on now. Uh, look what's going on in New York City on the mayoralty election coming up. It's an off-year election, and there are a number of candidates. And one of the candidates, who was the uh, Wiley, who had been the uh, advisor, legal advisor to de Blasio, and de Blasio would probably be lucky to get 20% of the vote if he ran for re-election. Uh, and he virtually wrecked uh, New York. And, and, and who does Wiley come out? Wiley is running second in the primary right now in the polls. And, of course, she is endorsed strongly by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. Uh, she's uh, AOC's candidate. And what does she, she stand for? 
One of the things she stands for is defunding the police. Another thing where she wouldn't answer the question is whether she would remove guns from all policemen. Now, now in the face of what's going on, rising homicide rates. Homicide rates are 68% or so in New York. Crime rates are sky high. Fatalities on the streets are, are, are automobile fatalities are high because police are reluctant to enforce the law because they enforce the law if they get arrested themselves and they lose their job. So, of course, they're demoralized and, and reluctant to, to uh, do what they would do in the past for fear of being disciplined, fired, arrested even. So she is for not only defunding the police, but maybe for taking their guns away. She would not answer the question, would you take the guns away from all policemen? Well, I'm not prepared to answer that question, is essentially what her answer would be. And by the way, you know, this is a side thing. We'll get back to the main topic in a minute. If you're faced with statistics that say homicide rate is going to the roof, and of course, more than 50% of all homicides are committed by, by blacks, who have 13% of the population, and black males are 6%. So young black males are most likely to commit homicide, and they're most likely to kill other young black males. So we have a huge increase in homicides, huge increase in crime in general. The left knows that. And if the left knows that and are still out there talking about defunding the police, are still out there alibying looters and rioters, then you have to conclude that the left, the Marxist left particularly, that's wagging that, you know, it's where the Democratic Party is now a captive of the Marxist left. They know what's going on, they know what the reality is, and they're still not doing anything about it, so you have to conclude it's intentional. They want to see a rise in crime rates. They want to see a rise in uh, looting. They want to see a, a rise in destroying small business. They want to see it all. And why do they want to see it? Because they want to establish a police state. They want to nationalize the police. They want to concentrate even more power in the federal government than the federal government has now. And they want to have a national police force and necessity. say, look, the only way we can deal with crime is if we, you know, universalize the rules and the federal government needs to step in because the states and the cities can't do the job. That's what we're going to hear. We're going to hear an arguments and take, mark my words for it, the arguments for a national police force, they're coming, they're coming down the pike and you can scoff all you like, but six or seven months ago on this show, I said it would be obvious to most people in the future that Anthony Fauci is a villain. And it's now should be obvious to everybody that he is indeed a villain in terms of what he did and what he didn't do uh, in, uh, in, about COVID and about approving funding for the Wuhan lab. But that's another story for another day. But people scoffed at me then. I got uh, some, you know, rather nasty emails about, oh, no, you're out of your mind, conspiracy. No. And I'm telling you right now, the left is heading for attempting to nationalize policing so they can concentrate even more power in the federal government. And, uh, look, what's happened to the Fed? You President Obama, he hired something like 10,000 new federal bureaucrats as soon as he got into office, all left-wing types. And what has been the result? We have a highly politicized, and therefore corrupted, Department of Justice. I mean, Trump did not understand that personnel is policy, and he did not understand how to clear these people out or clear them out of supervisory roles if he couldn't fire them uh, because of civil service protections. And he didn't do it. And then he even brings in this bar in Durham. What was the function of bar? I said so in this show. The function of bar in Durham was to cover up for their buddies. What happened to the perjury, two or three times perjury of, of Comey? What happened to all this uh, struck? What happened to all these people? Were they ever charged with anything? No. Barr's job was to cover up and cover up for his buddies. So the Department of Justice is completely...
completely politicized at the top levels and is <clears throat> there's no such thing as equal justice. Well, what about the FBI? That's even worse. The FBI is worthless at the top. Christopher Ray is, is worthless. He'll never in, enforce any laws against the key people, uh, key supporters of the Democrats. Politicized. DOJ, FBI, CIA, IRS, all of these organizations are highly politicized at the top and part of the left wing, as, as one parent said, who had uh, a family had fled from uh, communist China, Chinese American, she said at a board meeting, this is, she's seen this before. This, she's seen, this is cultural Marxism and uh, I may add it's also economic, not really Marx exactly, but it's economic corporatism, which is close. Halfway house to socialism, because it does concentrate power, but it makes the government the, the ultimate the decision maker, but they use the corporations to, to advance their the government's agenda. And that way they leave people who know how to run uh, these corporations in power. In any case, uh, what what then? What is the protection for the Republican form of government? The Republic needs to be protected. How is it protected? Well, to an extent right now, it's being protected by two senators, Manson of West Virginia, right, and Senema of Arizona, Democrat. As long as they will not go along with abolishing the filibuster, as long as they will not go along with this... Uh, Manson, anyway, with this so-called infrastructure bill, which is not an infrastructure bill, it's just a buy, just a bill to buy over various voting groups and support groups. Go look at it and see what they're really trying to fund. And look, they're interested in infrastructure. If they're interested in infrastructure, they would let this, the Keystone Pipeline be built. Meanwhile, Trump, 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 and Russia, 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 well, who does the favors to Russia? Obama did not send any aid, any military aid to the Ukraine when Russia was threatening them. He sent you know, blankets and food or something. Trump is the one who sent lethal aid to the Ukrainians so they, so they could defend themselves against incursions by Russia. And how about the pipeline? The Obama administration, I'm assuming the Trump administration blocked the pipeline from Russia to Germany. Biden waived it is now going to proceed. This pipeline is worth billions upon billions of dollars to Russia in future revenue. It also is worth billions and negatively to U.S. Uh, energy producers because the demand for liquefied gas would, will go down, and that's by, by tanker. So here we have the Obama-Biden group. Now it's pushing. I call it Obama-Biden because really it's all the Obama people running the show. Biden is, is obviously a figurehead puppet. Uh, doing great favors to, to, to Russia, but claiming that, that Trump is, 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 is the one who really was, was Putin's puppet. That's nonsense. Anyone's Putin's puppet is the, the Bidens. Look how much money Hunter Biden has made in his crooked deals. How much of that money went to Joe Biden? I don't know. But, of course, the media is not interested in finding out. So how do we protect the republic? Well, there are two things. I, I said the first thing is we got to protect it against that voting uh, bill. And that's Manson and Cinema. Secondly, we got to protect the First Amendment. Is under attack, but mostly under attack by the major corporations. So if, if the Biden administration cannot pack the Supreme Court and get their left-wing uh, ideologues and Supreme Court judges, the First Amendment, at least on the governmental level, still looks like it's protected. Second Amendment. They do not want law-abiding citizens to be armed because... Not so much about you know, fighting a revolution, insurrection, which is nuts, of course. 150 people invading the capital is an insurrection. 
people burning down uh, government buildings, uh, including police stations, attacking federal courthouses, looting, killing 30 people. Those are peaceful protesters. Well, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but this is important psychologically. People who can defend themselves don't feel they have to be reliant upon the government. And if you want to set up a police state, you want everybody to be reliant on the federal government, right? You want to set up concentration of power. And I use the police state in a broad sense that the policing will be responsibility of the, of the federal government, which it isn't now, at least not to a significant extent. So the Second Amendment is important, not only for defending the people against criminals and defending against an overarching government eventually, but, but psychologically. So the, but the Electoral College, which is under assault, not democratic, not democratic, it's right, not democratic. Not designed to be democratic. It's designed to protect liberty, to protect people's interests, and to balance interest against interest. Not to have California decide every election in this country. Their massive vote, whether in California, their population, whether voting is legally legal. After all, Trump, Hillary Clinton would have been president. We were protected from her by the electoral college. I think our lucky stories are now. And the Democrats understood that, so they made, made sure it wouldn't happen again. And we'll see how these these audits come out. I don't. Obviously, the election's not going to be overturned. And anyone who says so is, is whistling Dixie. But if we find out if it was massive vote fraud, uh, combined with the uh, uh, vote harvesting, combined with the uh, mail-in ballot from both uh, eligible and uneligible voters, then we'll protect ourselves in the future, just like George's done. And by the way, as a final uh, advice, boycott the All-Star game. The Major League Baseball taking a partisan political position based on a lie of the George's election laws being restrictive from unduly restrictive, at least not compared to other states, such as Delaware, um, and, and for that matter, Colorado. Um, so I'm asking my listeners, don't listen to the All-Star game, don't turn it on, don't don't turn on the home run derby, don't turn on any of them. Let's have the lowest ratings possible, or the lowest ratings in history for the All-Star game. And let's, you know, not respect, let's... Uh, Let's let our voice be heard. There's nothing means more to these corporate types than uh, money. And obviously that's what the money does make the world go around. And I re- I'll repeat what I said in the beginning, what I tell my students. Power, the more you concentrate power, the more likely this is to happen. Plus m- money, availability of money, always equals corruption. And I'm Reminded of one of my students when I was talking about uh, Reverend Osborne, who was a really great guy. Uh, he had been Martin Luther King, and he'd been Martin Luther King III. And we were talking about uh, corruption and bribery and all that stuff. And we're having a chat about uh, various ways people take bribes, politicians take bribes. Like, you know, Cuomo, $5 million advance uh, on, on a book that can't possibly make the publisher that much money back. So the question is, where does the money come from and why? And obviously, if you look at Hillary Clinton's books, there's one way you you disguise a bribe is you do uh, book advances. And so we were uh, we were talking about, about that. And so one of the, and I was telling the students about a story involving myself and Reverend Osborne. And the student says, so so are you claiming that, that uh, corruption is uh, cultural? And I said, absolutely. Every culture, without exception. Once again, power plus money equals corruption. That's what happens. With that, I am uh, going on hiatus. Uh, I, um, uh, my wife and I, will be uh, traveling extensively for the next couple of months, and uh, including uh, including a, a cruise. Uh, and uh, when I get the cruise in, uh, 
before we get too old. <laughs> There's a, only so much walking and sightseeing that we can do. And uh, when I was younger, I actually refused to go on cruises. I thought it was too sedentary. And the first cruise I took was to Alaska. My wife convinced me about five, six years ago to go on an Alaskan cruise. By golly, I really enjoyed it. Now, I did uh, on uh, two ports. I rented bikes. Uh, one, one, uh, one, one port I rented a mountain bike and actually rode uh, to a mountaintop cemetery. Uh, and it was kind of a, a fun, fun trip. I rode up to, and I met a, a game warden there. And he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going up to the cemetery. He said, you got uh, but, uh, bear spray and mace? I said, no. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I, my cabin, office cabin, is up about half a mile up the road. There's a can of mace there. Take that with you and then return it when you come back. So I said, fine. So I, I went, I found the mace. I, I, I took it up the mountain, got off my mountain bike to, to you know, look at the, the cemetery. And I got attacked by hordes of mosquitoes. I should have had mosquito spray. I did not see much at the cemetery. I got back on that bike and went down that hill as fast as I could go. I had to outrun them. Unfortunately, mosquitoes, as you may, may or may not know, are weak flyers. That's why a breeze blows them away. And uh, so I got down that hill as fast as I can, returned the maze, and went back down the mountain. Uh, but I did uh, was able to uh, you know rent bikes a, a couple uh, twice during the, the, the ports in Alaska. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. So then my wife said, "Well, we got to do another cruise," and we did. I did uh, a Viking cruise in France, yeah, river cruise, and uh, enjoyed the sightseeing. You know all those historic uh, villages. So. Uh, well, Robert, we're going to have to uh, get out of here, but we want you to have a. Time have a very good time while you're while you're gone, Robert, and uh, we look forward to uh, your return. And uh, among other places, we're all going to go also visit my my brother out in Arizona. So we're going to uh, do some check off a few things on the bucket. Okay, well, we're going to have to close it out, Robert. So uh, thanks for uh, David. Are you there? I'm here. We're closing it out. Thanks for uh, a good show. Have a uh, have a good trip. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.